The following is a message by Sean Taylor, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church. So again, we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to take that out. We're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Sheldon, two weeks ago, would have been in chapter 7. And just to catch you up, we, in chapter 7, the preacher was just talking about wisdom and wisdom and folly and making comparisons there. And in, in a lot of ways, chapter 7, chapter 8, even chapter 9, really fleshes out this whole idea of wisdom and what wisdom does to those who lay hold on it. And so we're going to go through all of this chapter, but we're going to, again, just pick out certain gems that I believe will serve us. So as you look in Ecclesiastes 8, 1 to 17, and I will read. It says, who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps the command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there's a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observe while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to the evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There's a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. 
For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Lord, may the entrance of your word bring light and understanding to us. May it illuminate. And may the wisdom from above help us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where things seem to be spiraling out of control? I mean, let me give us, imagine for a second that you're driving your car on our highway and then suddenly your car starts slipping on the road and you're skidding. How, how would you respond in that situation? More than likely. You see, natural instincts will probably tell you to probably press hard on the, on the brakes. You probably feel tempted to swing the steering wheel in the opposite direction. But one thing you're going to learn about in that situation, the best course of action is to do what seems quite counterintuitive. I mean, the experts will tell you, of course, you don't do what Sarah said and go, ah, they want you to remain calm. And then they want to tell you that, listen, you, you need to quickly turn the steering wheel in the direction you want to go. But then, as the vehicle starts to turn back, you need to turn it in the opposite direction, it seems, until you get back to the desired path. Again, in, in a situation like that, it calls sometimes for you to put the car in neutral. Again, all things that just don't seem what you should do naturally. Again, instincts want you to fight against the very situation you're in, to resist, to try to regain control. But really, it seems what you need to be doing is almost going with the flow, going in the direction. I mean, I don't know if you've experienced this before, but as a swimmer, I really have a healthy fear and respect for the ocean. And I've probably mentioned this before. I have actually experienced what it is swimming and finding yourself in an undercurrent where you, all your swimming that you're doing, all of a sudden you feel that you are being pulled right under. And again, what does your natural tendency want to do? You want to swim away. It's pulling you down. I need to go that way. It's trying to pull you out into sea. I need to go back to the shore. I need to regain control. But again, what the experts will tell you, what wisdom comes in and says, what you actually need to do is swim towards the undercurrent. You need to go with the flow. You need to relax. Don't fight because you're going to need your energy. 
go with undercurrent, and then when it stops, you actually even said that you must go sideways. Again, very contrary to what seems natural for you to do, right? Well, you see, here in Ecclesiastes 8, 1 to 17, the writer offers a very similar lesson about wisdom. You see, guys, life is unpredictable. Life is uncontrollable, unreasonable even. And you're going to face moments where everything feels like it's spiraling out of control. You see, there are many things that are beyond our control. Whether you're dealing with unreasonable and at times unjust actions of those in authority, or when you look at the outcomes of a person's life and it just don't seem to pan out how it should. You see, the unpredictable twists and turns of life can weigh heavy on us. And sometimes we can literally feel and see that hardship on our face. Yet, the author gives a very interesting choice of words when he thinks about this. He offers wisdom to us that which would strengthen us and give us the resilience that we need despite, again, what feels very natural for us to do. I love how verse 1 starts. It, it almost summarizes the effect that wisdom should have for us, where it says, who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. You see, this morning I want you to realize how wisdom wants to affect your outlook, and even how you look. Wisdom has that power to change our demeanor. And so this is what I believe the, the, that we are going to take home this morning. That godly wisdom changes our countenance in the face of life's uncertainty. And as we cover this chapter, we're going to look at the transformative power and the profound impact that wisdom can have as we face three scenarios. So I'm going to group things in three scenarios. One, in verse 2 to 9, we're going to look at unpredictable authority. And in verses 10 to 14, unfair outcomes. And verses 15 to 17, unsearchable ways. Again, for everyone in this room, you're going to be at some point, you're going to face one or all of those realities. Trust me. And again, in the face of unreasonableness and injustice, we are going to be tempted to have a natural response. The fight or flight response is going to get triggered. Especially when our reality reveals how little control we actually have. But it's in these moments that we need to exercise the wisdom that the preacher calls us to. And trust the process, recognizing that there's a plan and a purpose in all of this. And so let us sit and learn from Ecclesiastes 8. So we're going to look at the first point, unpredictable authority. You see, in verses 2 to 9, as we read, the preacher addresses the challenge that comes with being called to submit under authority of others, and particularly those with positions of power and influence. 
And what does verse 2 say? It says, keep the king's commands. Obedience. Submission. How do you feel about those words? Obedience. Submission. Now, I would say to you, we should realize that, that those words are not limited to Christian circles. You see, from the very moment that you and I came into this world, we have encountered authority. The baby to the parent, the student to their teacher, the employee to their employer, citizens to government officials. And again, as aside from our natural inclination to want to be the masters of our own domain and universe, human beings have always understood that in order for things to work well, we need some structure, right? Again, no matter where you look in the world, you're going to see structures set up. That's how things function well. And again, so frankly, obedience isn't that hard in the face of authority that's competent, authority that is wise, leadership that's reasonable. We don't really have a problem with that, do we? But again, our preacher presents a very unique challenge. He calls us to obey the king, but then look how he describes the king. He's calling us to obey. Let's look at, for example, verse 4 says, The word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? So the preacher describes a person who in a certain sense has this sort of absolute authority. And again, if you understand the context of the Near Eastern time, a king really walked with a lot of power like that. His word was a law. That's what happens. And depending on the amount of wealth and power and the strength of his army, he certainly could impose that. They actually had the power to let you do as he pleased. Again, it's a tricky situation because, listen, last week the rule was this and maybe you could navigate it, you could understand what the rule was. But then this morning, king wake up on the wrong side of the bed and then the rules just changed. You can't anticipate the next move. It just depends on the vibe of the guy. And again, his decisions are often sudden, arbitrary. This is how the preacher kind of sets up the type of king we're talking about. And again, there are consequences for those who don't comply. This is someone who often acts beyond our own control and does whatever he pleases regardless of your opinion or your objections. And again, even worse, verse 9 describes this person exercising power over man to his hurt. So what we're seeing? We're seeing abuse of authority. So again, this authority is not just unpredictable. It's not just rash. It's not just what I feel like to tell you. But the authority can literally hurt the person under them. Let me ask you a question. You ever encounter authority like that? Have you encountered that in your home? Maybe school? Maybe workplace? What does your instinct tell you to do in those circumstances? 
stand up for your rights. I'm not going to make nobody step over me. I know my worth. I know my worth. I'm not going to make you talk to me like that. Are you kidding me? You, you know how I was raised? I know who I am. Sir, I'm Sarah's boss. You can tell me that if you'd like. That's fine. But again, how, how do you obey someone like this? Is it even reasonable to ask for that kind of response? And interesting, verse 3 in its warning highlights something that definitely is the natural response that you do in this circumstance. What does verse 3 say? Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause. Listen, the temptation under that type of leadership is to act impulsively, is to say, what? No, I'm gone. To oppose the tyranny, to say, I'm not taking that. We want to grab the wheel and take control of the situation. But again, what does Ecclesiastes 8 try to call us to do? It seems that wisdom calls us to recognize, first of all, that our obedience and our loyalty to the king is primarily motivated. Why? Look at it with me. Look at verse 2. Keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Listen, you and I, we are called to honor authority, not because they are always right, or because they always act in our best interest. It seems the motivation and reason given is first placed because of what God has said. Now again, uh, different, different people think about this in different ways. Is this because of the oath that they made to the king? And so this is an encouragement. Yo, just be true to the oath that you made. Or is this because of the oath we have made to God? Different people land at different places. But when you look at what scripture encourages us all throughout, you realize a certain sense that, boy, this applies simply because of what God has done. I mean, look at Romans 13, 1-2. It says, there's no authority except from God. You heard that? There's no authority except from God. Wait, 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 wait. Does that mean your current prime minister? Does that mean that president that you'd think is just unfit for the job? Does it mean the parents God has just given you? You had no choice, you came into it. Authority. There's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Yo, that's hard. That's not very easy to accept. 
And again, we can't get past this reality because a big part of our submission, it seems, to Christ, God in heaven, is expressed how we submit and obey authority on earth. It's very hard for us to separate it. Now again, I know the questions that you have, because I had it as I looked at this text. I said, listen, aren't there times for Christians to disobey authority? And you heard, of course. And I mean, I can give you a simple answer if you want to look at Peter. And Peter in Acts, in Acts 5.29, when, the, when they're preaching and the rulers say, yo, listen, easy with the preaching of the gospel, no? Stop it. You need to stop it. What did he say? We must obey God rather than man. But let me tell you something, GFC. If we are being honest, you see those circumstances are not as often as we claim. It's not. You see, you struggle to obey the government. You struggle to obey your teacher. You struggle to obey your parents. Your struggle to obey your boss isn't usually at the level of Acts 5.29. You see that annoying manager who doesn't listen to your ideas and is dismissive and doesn't understand the word that you've put in? Don't give you an excuse to take your stand in an evil cause. The reality is, while it's true, yeah man, we have to obey God rather than man. Sometimes that is not because, boy, you know, I just think that's a bad plan. I don't think that works. Usually, it's about, are they telling you to sin? To not do your idea is not a sin. To not do it how you like it is not a sin. To not do it the way that probably make a lot of sense not a sin. And so what does it call us to do again? It goes against what we naturally want to do. But again it says wisdom the preacher calls us to reminds us though that you see authority ultimately comes from God but also there is no power that exists apart from his power. Uh, we're not going to look at all of it, but in verse 78, you see certain things that help to bring balance, where he points out the very limitations of even earthly authority. You mentioned things like, no man has power to restrain the spirit, or power over the day of death. You see, one of the things we realize, in heaven, in being under the sun, people have the ability to indeed take a job, they have the ability to take your wealth. They have the ability to take your life. But only one person has power over your soul. And because of that, we don't need to respond in your... I need to fight against this thing. Because at the end of the day, whatever the king, whatever these guys want to do, first of all, they can't do it apart from God. They can't. Because what does the scripture say? That God even holds the heart of the king in his hands. And so if it's not supposed to happen to you, it can't happen to you. And so maybe a question you have to ask, if it's happening to you, what is God doing here? What 
plan are you executing here? But the one who has all authority is the only one who has power over your spirit, but also the day of death. Listen, you can't be taken out until you're supposed to be taken out. Understand that? That's the reality. And so that can free us when we sit under a certain type of authority. Again, wisdom calls for obedience. It's fueled by our understanding of who God is. But also there are practical reasons given. Verse 5 talks about whoever keeps the command will know no evil. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything. See guys, don't worry. There is a time. There is a way. I just said to you, first the slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. There may be a time. But usually, it's not right now when I feel all those feelings welling up inside and I just need to let him know what's on my mind. No, I'm saying this to you because I, I feel that. I feel that when I sit under certain authority. I do. I do. And in case they're listening, I'm grateful <laughs> for the way that the Lord... Had, no, I'm joking. But I know. I, I, I feel it. It's funny. Daniel Akins gives a very helpful commentary on this verse where he says, this is not an absolute promise. So when it says that you experience evil, but it is a valid principle. Obedience has God's blessings. Submitting to the rule of law will keep us safe from harm. This is one of the blessings of wisdom. It helps us to know the right way to live which includes submitting to our government the way a loyal citizen should. But not only that, wisdom instructs us in two crucial aspects. Not only what is the correct cause of action I need to take, but also what's the most appropriate time to carry it out. That's what wisdom does. So again, uh, the preacher wants you to realize, let's take all of wisdom in these unstable times Let's look at another scenario. Unfair outcomes in verse 10 to 14. I don't want to stay too long here because again in chapter 7, Shalom would have gone through this a lot where in this passage, the preacher offers us another circumstance where wisdom brings stability and helps us make sense of things when they just don't make no sense. And specifically, as you face unequal treatment of the wicked and the righteous. I mean, let's, let's summarize what the preacher highlights in those verses. In verse 10, it says that the wicked people, they seem to get bashment funerals. When they die, even though they've been wicked, they get praised. While they're alive, they were very much known to be done men. You knew that this person was a gangster. But you see them in the papers as prominent businessmen. 
you hear the accolades. Does that sound familiar to you? You know, verse 12 says, despite the numerous times and ways they sin, things always seem to work out in their favor. And so as Jamaicans like to say, the world no level. It no level. And again, verse 14, put the nail in the coffin. Let me read that. It says, there's a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity. Again, the wicked, they don't seem to get what they deserve. And the righteous seem to only get crosses. That just don't seem fair. So the student who cheats in an exam gets an A. While those who try to listen in class and try to study get C's. The man who works very hard at his job can barely pay his bills. While everybody who chop in the line look like they're flossing. And for those who not are not familiar with chopping the line, chopping the line refers to those who are in scamming and unscrupulous activities scamming from foreigners or stealing from banks and bank clients they seem to be living good again those who have been plugging into community maintaining their commitment to Christ and modesty they're still single while those out in the streets they have their pictures on Instagram them get them spouse where is yours? What's going on here? Again, those circumstances bring on some very obvious natural responses. What does verse 11 say about that? It says, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. You know how long I've been serving the Lord? Look at my marriage. Look at my, look at my finances. Look at my health. Might as well I take matters into my own hands. I mean, I need a promotion. I need to take control of my future and my family. God's way does not seem to be working. This is the temptation that happens to the children of man. When our eyes see the inequity of the world, we are tempted to do evil. Yet once again, wisdom comes in with its counterintuitive response in the face of the instability and says, verse 12, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Listen, wisdom that comes in, that's counterintuitive, 
contrary to the natural, tells us that, listen, after we die, there is a judgment. Though it seems delayed, Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed once for man to die and after that the judgment. And listen, without this worldview, we will make the wrong assessment of the imbalances that we see on earth. It's if we live like this is all there is, we're going to stumble. Friends, don't envy the wicked. What they have, what they're supposedly free to do, it will not end well for them. From the day of judgment, it's only going to be terror for the wicked. And for those who seem to be trampling on the kindness of the Lord, even though he makes rain fall on them, and they use his kindness as a means to continue to sin, God is going to show justice. And it's why the scripture encourages us, by the way, to not jump and take vengeance into our own hands. I guess, listen, you and I are arrogant when we think that somehow we can do a better job at God to meet out justice. I'm going to show that boss. I'm going to show that spouse. I'm going to show them. Friends, let's not be short-sighted. It will not go well for the wicked. Yet for those who fear him, it will go well. You see, when Paul seeks to think about how God has prepared and what he's prepared for those who fear him, he, he points back to wisdom in 1 Corinthians 2, 6-9. I want to read that to you. It says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Listen, our big and our creative God has prepared unimaginable glory, unimaginable riches for you who fear him. And honestly, it won't be fair. It won't even be fair for us who receive it. Listen, at the end of the day, no trial, no suffering that you have experienced is going to let you say on that day, God, adjust this. That will not happen. You are going to say, what? How comes? What have I done to deserve this? No loss. No loss of home, no loss of life will make you look and say, oh yeah man, I definitely deserve that. So wisdom makes you appreciate what you might look on and say, that no fear. Let's close here with verses 15 to 17, with the unsearchable ways. You see, a wise preacher ends this chapter with a commendation and then pondering of another circumstance that confounds him. I'm going to intentionally start with the problem that he poses, though. In verses 16, 
in verse 16 to 17, he says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day or night do one's eyes sleep, I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done on the sun. However, much man may toil in seeking, but he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he can't find it out. Now, this is weird, because we've been talking about wisdom this whole time, right? We've been talking about wisdom. Yet the preacher acknowledges that life and the ways of the world are complex and often way beyond any human comprehension or wisdom. Again, despite efforts of the wise to understand, they cannot fully comprehend what is going on. We live in a time when we have access to the most information at our fingertips. We have technology that allows us to be connected to anyone and everywhere. We have all the books, all the seminars, all the podcasts, all the teachings of life, on marriage, on business, on parenting. Yet no amount of automation, no amount of artificial intelligence will allow us to exhaust the complexity which is life under the sun. We'll never fully master anything in this life. There's always something new to learn and some new gap that needs to be filled because the solution that you made created another problem. Yet in the face of that, again, our natural response is just to be weary. And that's why in verse 16 it says, listen, man can't find sleep. People lose sleep trying to figure this out. Yet in the face of that, there's still something liberating. The wisdom from above frees us to accept our limitations. As creatures, we don't need to know and understand it all. We don't need to grasp control. But instead, when we fall into the hands of our Creator, who knows all things, who has all power, we can have rest. One of my favorite passages is Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. There are secret things, my friends, but God has revealed some things. He's given some instructions. And sometimes the instructions, it don't look like it makes sense. Sometimes these instructions don't pan out how you think it should. But what he has revealed is for his children. And it is when we do that, we can now take on the commendation he gives in verse 15 to pursue joy. Where he says, I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and to drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. You see, this is not the first time the preacher talks about joy. This is his third time. And joy, even when things are unpredictable and unstable, yes, joy when the outcome is unjust and unfair, joy even though we don't comprehend. I love how Philip Riken encourages us. He says, yes. There is vanity under the sun. Yes, we see injustice that is hard to accept or understand. Yes, we have a lot of hard work to do. 
Nevertheless, there is joy for us in the ordinary things of life, eating, drinking, sharing fellowship with the people of God. You see, the wisdom that ultimately comes from above still sees us going to God and say, boy, Lord, I don't get it. I don't understand what's going on. Why am I suffering? Things not working out how you said it would. Yet wisdom gives us eyes, ears, and hearts to live a reality that while on this side, under the sun, things not matching up, we know because of the gospel, ultimately, it will go well. It will go well. You know, one of the encouragements for me this weekend was listening to our members at members meeting, sharing different things going on in their life. We heard hardships. We heard about sickness. People walking through sorrow, disappointment, fears. Yet, in all of that, those same people were able to point each other to the joy of knowing Christ. And so we really see verse 1 coming back where it says, Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. Listen, godly wisdom changes our countenance. Godly wisdom changes our countenance in the face of life's uncertainty. And so I want to just close. I want to close with the refrain that Paul gives in Romans 11, where he, reflecting on the mystery of the gospel, reflecting on all of what God did, as he's aware of delayed justice, he recognizes God's mercy, which would save all kinds of people. And so when Romans 11, 33 to 36. May this be our song in the face of adversity, in the face of unclear situations. May we be able to with our lives say, oh the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has ever been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You have just listened to a message by Sean Taylor, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church.